We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Shall we begin? All right. Well, um, uh, th- this summer we're going to start something called the Five Solas. And if we could have this slide up there. The Five Solas, it's a historical term, okay? It comes in the context of, of the church fighting for the purity of the gospel. And so there was five cries to bring the church back to orthodoxy, back to purity, back to what we needed, okay? And they are, and it's in Latin, so don't get freaked out. It might be a little bit weird, but we've got both the English and the Latin. I think you should know both, okay? So we're going to spend the first five, six weeks on sola scriptura, which means Scripture alone. Some of you in the back might, might not be able to see that. We're going to spend two weeks on solus Christus in Christ alone. We're going to spend time on faith alone, sola fide, grace alone, sola gratia, and sola deo gloria, the glory of God alone. And so uh, this will be our 10-week time of studying. And it will be a little bit different for you because usually we take um, a book, and we go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And this one is going to be a little bit more historical, a little bit more theological, and we have got to, as a church, be grounded, especially in these five areas. And so for this Sunday, I want to give you um, a visual. I want to give you an image that will help you um, uh, remember and it will carry your way through, especially this next month and a half. And so, I need five volunteers. I need five volunteers. I would like these volunteers to be multi-generational. I'm seeing some older people already clench their teeth like this, going, oh no, is he going to ask me? I might. I might. Okay? So, five volunteers. Let's go maybe a, a young person first. Okay? Ava, you're pretty excited. Come on up here. Okay? Ava, you... We're gonna we're gonna have five characters, and this is unplanned. Okay, you are gonna be the character feelings. Okay, let's go next character. Forest, come on up here. All right, Forest is the character experience. All right, next one. Let's go. Let's go. Someone a little bit older than than these folks. Come on, come on. Who's gonna have the guts? Josh, should we go father, son? All right, come on up. All right. All right, reason. Josh is reason. Uh huh. Let's go, Randall. There we go. Randall. Uh huh. Well done. Is scripture. And let's go, let's go, someone else. One more. One more. One more. Someone. Hail. All right, hail. All right. And hail is tradition. Here we go. <laughs> All right, come on up here. 
Okay, a lot of tradition, a lot of tradition. That was a good joke. That was a good joke. Uh huh. Okay, so what we're going to do here um, is that I wrote a poem for you. Okay, this poem is called "From the Tale from the Ancients to the Postmoderns." Okay, and what we're going to do is we're going to trace um, from from um, after the canon was closed all the way to the era of postmodernism. Okay, and we're going to see how these five characters played out. And hopefully this can, this can be ingrained in your mind and heart uh, throughout this series, okay? And I'll just give you five little instructions as we go, okay? Right, so are we ready? Okay, here we go. In the ancient world, there were characters three who worked together in sweet harmony. Each had their role, their purpose, and place. Yet throughout time, our desires grew to replace. Yet nay, I say more, without further ado, you must meet these characters few. First, I introduce Scripture to you. Come on. The forefront, the center, the main character of our story. The true source of light and wisdom. The revealer of God's glory the lamp unto our feet, and the light unto our paths, this character the ancients held fast. That a man would find true and knowledge that would last. If you drink of the Word that reveals the sun, you'll drink deeply and never thirst again. Because Scripture was so very important and dear, our second character comes to the stage near. Yet let this be said loud and forthrightly, Scripture can fend for itself quite nicely. But with a steady voice and confidence in Scripture alone, I introduce to you tradition, our chaperone. Good. All right. Now, Hale, just stand just a little bit behind him, almost like a pyramid. Very excellent. That's perfect. Man, isn't he good? Whew. And good looking too, Mary Jo, you know? Scripture and tradition liked each other a lot. Tradition supported Scripture, and there was conflict not. Creeds provided the great lens to read the very words of God, to understand them rightly, not to stray or in, to interpret odd. Other traditions held God's people tried and true, a way to help us love God and obey Him too. Thank you, tradition, for being number two. Can you guys just back up a little bit? The next character that was on the scene, his name was Reason, his order number three. Reason certainly was welcomed with open arms to have a role. For God Himself made our mind and reasons to know. During the early church, reason was a humble man. He knew his place and supported the plan. He was kind and gentle, asked great questions and spoke. But to eclipse Scripture and tradition to him was no joke. But as time went on and man began to stray, 
these three characters battled for the stage. Man was at a loss and was just seeming to cope. Tradition is equal to Scripture, said the Pope. Oh, what damage. What a loss. How sad. To elevate tradition to Scripture makes God mad. But all of the happenings were in God's plan. He raised up men like Luther, Knox, and Calvin, the man. Sola Scriptura was the Reformer's cry. Christ, faith, grace, Bible, and to God be the glory was the tie. These 95 theses, the councils, the writings, the Gospel was protected and God showed mightily. Tradition, our beloved, became the scary and restrictive type. So the Reformers asked him, tradition, to take a hike. <laughs> He's real good. Not too far though. Not too far. Not too far. Yeah, that's good though. Hold on to that image. While there was much good in the Reformation that happened, uh, I'm sorry, while there was much in the Reformation that happened good, without tradition, a vacancy on the stage now stood. Reason! This is your big shot! Step up! Step in! Fill the spot! And so he did. He took the part. He was helped by the French thinker Descartes. The infamous, I think, therefore I am, was the cry of the modern age. Sadly, reason asked Scripture to get off the stage. Reason. What is it that you have to offer? What is your source, you fool, you scoffer? <laughs> I didn't play him this with you, you know. He's the youth pastor, you know. Uh-huh. To think that you could survive solely on your knowledge acute, and now your son is saying there are no absolutes. With you, reason. You said that absolute cannot be known, but now postmodernity has sent you home. What's true for me may not be true. What's true for you may not be true for me. We all have our own truths, and that's fine and dandy. Now, there's no one on the stage. By far. This is my favorite line. By far, these are the saddest epistemological days. <laughs> In these days, the same needs and desires are there, but now nothing is left but thin air. Thus, how does one move and make decisions? Answer, he's guided by his own tastes, preferences, and self-made visions. Thus, a final plea is due. We must not color what postmodernists post drew. Let's call back Scripture. Oh, Scripture, come forth! Let it be preached in our pulpits. Let it set our course. 
Let the Word dwell richly among us and be in our hearts and homes and chorus. Allow the words of life to pour out the gates to our neighbors, to the lost. Let it reverberate. Scripture, take your stand. You are the main stage. But let us also call back tradition from the ancient days. The early church deemed you of great value. Come back. Watch us closely as we read words not anew. Let us hold you carefully and stand on the shoulders of men gone before us and keep you in your place. Yet keep you, we must. And yes, let's bring back our gentle friend number three. Reason, which leads to great humility. Yet we must say there are more than characters three. Now we must speak of experience and feeling. Yes, you too. Come onto the stage. Don't be scared and don't be afraid. Give them a hand and shout out loud. Clap your hands and show them around. Woo! For God made you too. It's okay to cry. Emotions are from God and not a lie. Yet let me talk to you like a dad so you'll believe. Experience and feelings, if not in the right place, can deceive. You must always align what you have experienced with the Bible. Test the spirits to see if they are reliable. The times are strange. The changing of seasons. So get in your place behind Scripture, tradition, and reason. The end. Good job. You can keep those. Oh yeah, you can keep them. Hold on to it forever as as a momentum. Hartzels, this is for you. Gwen's, this is for you. We keep a copy on every floor. This is the Jesus Book Story Bible. We love it. Read it often to your children. Just for the next moments, we're just going to go through those five characters so that you understand, and then we'll, we'll close our time in worship. So Scripture. Randall did a nice job, didn't he? He's just, he's just got a presence to him. Yeah, yeah. When we, when we say Scripture alone, or sola scriptura, what we're saying is that the Bible, that the Scripture has the final authority in our life. If you're taking notes, that's what we want to say. That Scripture, and we're going to spend a lot of time because it's a nuanced and deep discussion. It's so important for a church to be established in this area. We're going to say it's sufficient. We're going to say it's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's perfect. It is, it is everything we need for life and godliness. It's able to save your souls. It's, it does the work of salvation through Christ by the Spirit. 
The Bible is essential. It is the foundation. And we are going to spend time there so that we are grounded there. That's the rest of June and a little bit into July. We're going to um, talk about the canonicity. And all, ultimately, at the end of our time, we're going to say that we're going to spend a whole Sunday on its authority in our life. And I pray that at the end of these uh, five, six weeks, that you're going to hold out your, the Scripture and you're going to know that God wrote a book and it's called the Bible. And you're going to hold it not in front of you so as to fight it. You're not going to hold it down on the ground so as to stand over it confidently saying, I'm smarter than that. I've got reason. But you're going to stand under it and saying, whatever it says, I will do it. It's my final authority. Jesus is my King and I'm going to follow Him. Whatever. That's the goal. We're going to spend some time talking about how to interpret the Scriptures. Um, tradition has been, uh, in the poem you heard it, our chaperone. That might scare some of you uh, to, to use the word tradition. When I say tradition, I mean especially the creeds, the creeds of the faith, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, things like that. I don't mean, oh, every year we like whip out the candles and, oh, this is what we do. We do potlucks, you know, every so, every so often. That's our tradition, okay? What I'm talking about with the early church especially is the, the guardrails of interpretation of the scriptures, creeds. For example, um, the creeds tell us, the, the Scripture alone tells us that we have a God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. The Son did. The Father doesn't indwell us. The Spirit does. They are all God. They are, there's God in three persons, yet they're distinct. Yet each one of them has a positive affirmation that we can say the Holy Spirit is God, the Son is God, the Father is God. And because in the early church they saw that and said we need to hold fast to this or else the church for the rest of the time will go astray, we can come to the Scriptures every morning, every whenever, every evening, and not have to have the Scriptures prove to us once again that, that the Bible is true and that the Trinity is a real thing. We can come to it with a set of presuppositions that are healthy. Presuppositions that are consistent with historical church orthodoxy to say, coming into this, knowing that the Trinity is affirmed and true. And I'm going to stand on the shoulders of men who have gone before me. When I was in seminary, I had a really great professor that gave me two bits of advice. Um, he said, hey Mike, when you preach, make sure um, that nothing that you say is new. Because if it's new, it's not true. <laughs> and then he said, what does that mean, Mike? I'm going to just tell you. Don't be weird and don't get weird. <laughs> I've, I've seen a lot of guys that take their pulpits and they start getting weird in order to be creative and crafty 
in order to build a crowd or whatever, but how you build His church is feed them good food. If you handle the depth, God will handle, handle the breadth. But give them what the Bible says. Right after the heels of that, he told me about a guy getting weird. About how this guy was like researching how to find uh, Jesus' blood literally from DNA tests and things like that and going back into Israel and flying over to Israel and trying to find blood samples and wood from Calvary's cross and this and that. And he thought he found it so that he could uh, talk to like scientists to reproduce this blood. Why? So that the church could be literally covered with Christ's blood. And he said, don't do that. Don't do that. It's just it's weird, right? And I was like, okay, I won't do that, right? And we laugh and we're like, huh. but I'm sure each one of you have heard of pastors and churches and elders that have just gotten really weird. What holds the pastor and the church fast to sola scriptura, to scripture alone? Um, what has held it in the past is the Holy Spirit. The Scripture can defend and hold itself. It, it has been preserved for all this time. I think it can stand for its own. But tradition, namely the creeds, have helped Scripture, um, has helped the church interpret Scripture rightly. Does that make sense? Reason. When we're talking about reason, we're talking about the plenary reading of Scripture. This is a term that I'd like you guys to learn and know. Plenary reading of Scripture. It means plain language. The Bible was written for the church to understand it. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to know Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. You can read it and go, I think I know what the Lord means when He wrote this down. And when we say reason, we, meant that, we mean that God has given every believer. That is, after He has opened your mind and heart and eyes to the things of God, He's given you a mind to understand the things of Scripture. To, to reason with it. Not to argue with it, but to make sense of it. The challenge is, when you read Scriptures, for instance, and we're talking about character number three here. This is Josh holding the green sign, reason. When we're talking about number three, it is often easy to bring your mind to Scripture and think that you're smarter than it. One area uh, in church history that they went astray was that uh, during the scientific age, they read the passage in the Psalms that says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord will be praised. And they said, we know better than this. Sun doesn't rise. We go around the sun and the moon goes around us. And how in the world do these dumb authors, these writers of Scripture, how could they think that the sun is rising? The Bible, not written in the scientific age, is writing in such a way, and they didn't understand this, writing in such a way where they experience it, where they write it as it as they are as they are seeing it it's called a phenomenological way of writing the phenomenon is happening that the sun is rising and that is what they're seeing and they're describing it 
Yet, in the scientific age, if one verse seems off or not scientific, then the whole thing is off. And they bailed on it. And they believed in science more than the Scriptures. Experience and feelings. These, these two other characters we have to talk about. We have to welcome them to the table because everyone's talking about it. And so we have to make sense of these two experience. And so let me just say about experience. Hey, Christians, we are meant to experience God. You don't have to be afraid of that word. The Bible is true. The Holy Spirit is true. And God has meant to have a relationship with you not just so that you would stand on truth and agree with it in a mental ascent. But He wants you to experience it in a real and tangible way. The love of God in Christ Jesus. The challenge is, and I think everyone has identified this or knows this, the challenge is, is that when you do experience something in the Christian life, you want to try to experience it again. You want to take your experience and either blueprint it on the next Sunday you come to church, or you want to blueprint your experience on someone else. And if they or you don't experience that, then what you're doing is what's called legalism. Or behavioralism. Because you're saying, you must experience the Lord in the same kind of way I did last Sunday or whatever. An easy trap for all believers is, is this. You're singing this song. It's wonderful. You're just, you, you, you know, you just start crying and it's just like the Lord is meeting you through this. I've seen the evidence of your goodness. All of my life, and you're just celebrating the promises of God, and you're experienced, you're just in His presence, right? And then the next Sunday, you're like, Where's that? I ain't feeling it this Sunday. And it's easy to go because I didn't experience it like I did in the past, then something externally is wrong. Maybe some guy played a wrong chord. Maybe the sound is off. Maybe this guy, you know, singing next to me is too loud. Or he's trying to sing harmony and it's just bothering me or something like that. Or maybe I just didn't get whatever it is. And you start building your Christian experience off of one experience or two experiences. That is why experience needs to take the back seat in our faith. It's the fourth or the fifth player. It certainly isn't front stage. Does that make sense? Is that a good visual image for you to hang on to? Another way we sometimes err in experience is self-help books where we open it up and look to only help ourselves through other means than the Scriptures. So when we say sola scriptura, that it's our final authority, sometimes our heart goes, I'm just, if it's our final authority, maybe it's like step seven and I'm going to try steps one through six and I'm going to look at everywhere else except scripture to get help. When God himself, Psalm 121 says, Hey, I look to the mountains and where does my help come from? 
It comes from self-help books. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Can self-help books help sometimes? Yeah. Are there some are there some smart things to do? Yeah. Of course. Is it our final authority and should we blueprint it on someone else or our own life? Feelings. The last one, then we'll close our time. Feelings. Um, I remember growing up and being discipled, uh, going through this curriculum that laid out this train. And the train, the front of the train was fact. And the next train cart was faith. And the next train cart was feelings. And I, at a young age, was encouraged, hey, don't place the feelings in the front train cart. Don't do it. It'll, it'll fail you every time. You base your faith. You walk by faith and you place and you trust it. You read the Scriptures and you bank on it. That it is infallible. That it is inerrant. It is without error and it's God breathed. God wrote it. And you walk in that faith. And then when you're feeling up or when you're feeling down, you go, you know what? That's just a part of life. I'm going to trust Him with my feelings. Too. Fact, faith, feelings. How do we err there? When we you know, base our, our, um, our walk with the Lord on warm fuzzies. Does the Lord give warm fuzzies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what are some better ways to describe that? I don't know, but somehow the church has grabbed onto this idea of warm fuzzy, right? I think in Luke 24, when um, when they were listening to Jesus unfold the scriptures and their hearts burned within them, I think that's what we mean when we we're talking about a warm fuzzy that our hearts because of the Scriptures, we're brought to see Christ. And, and, and in so doing, we our love and affections, the epistles say, were stirred towards love and good deeds. And so after a sermon, when you go like this, mm, sweetheart, that really got me. That really got me, right? And we're talking about those warm... What we're talking about is that our hearts were burned. Now, will every song, will every sermon stir you in such a way on equal like plane? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I was told that sermons are like a slow drip or like Bible studies, like a slow drip. It's often not like this shower where you just, oh, I'm just getting it all. It's like, I needed that today. That drip, drip, drip. It's the normative way that God usually works. Not extreme life transformation, although he does. But when you day after day keep coming to the word, despite how you feel, when you come to church and sit under God's word, that he slowly transforms your life more and more into his image. He forms you to be more like Christ. Scripture, tradition, reason experience feelings. Let's pray that the Lord would stir our hearts for His Word, that we would be men and women who love Him and follow Him. So Father, we 
need you and we love you and we thank you for how you have worked in history and how you're going to work in our lives. Lord, would you um, stir your church now to love and good deeds? Would you help us keep the Bible front and stage center? I pray that we would not um, love tradition more than your words, even when they're hard. I pray that we would not fall in love with our reason and our intellect, but we would hold fast to the promise that we need to trust you with all our heart and lean not on our own intellect, experience, or tradition, but that in all our ways we would acknowledge you and that you would make our path straight. Lord, be the Lord of all. Be the Lord of our experiences. Be the Lord of our feelings. Lord, forgive us when we have put our feelings and experience front stage, when we've put them on a pedestal, when we've even discipled and counseled others. Lord, help us to hold fast to the word of truth. And where it says in Philippians, where we hold it out so that we would be a light, like shining stars in this universe, holding it out, the word of truth. We're asking your spirit to carry us along this summer so that we would delight in the gospel and not graduate from it. And we pray for the dads. Lord, that they would do the best and greatest thing in their calling. That they would make the scriptures that point to Jesus most important thing at their home in their home that they would read it aloud that they would memorize it that they would would allow it to sink deeply into their hearts that they would share it often with their with their wife with their kids with their neighbors with their friends family that's our prayer Lord.